This morning we'll be looking at two passages, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 26, and then from the book of Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 24. Also, I make mention of the fellowship pads that are located on the insides of the aisles. If you wouldn't mind filling those out and sending them down the aisle, we would appreciate that. This morning we're going to conclude our series on the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. But before we do that, I I just want to remind you of where we have been uh, in this series because we started in Galatians, if you can remember that far back, and we saw there how God gives to us His law to expose our need and send us to Jesus for redemption. Um, Jesus is the one who pays our debt. He is the one who credits to us uh, His righteousness. Uh, After that, we looked in Paul's letter to the Romans and we saw how Jesus sends us back to the law. He sends us to the law not as uh, not to earn our righteousness through obedience and conformity to it, but to learn how to live out of gratitude before the God who redeems. In other words, Jesus sets us free uh, so that we can obey with a new motive. And then, of course, we went through all of the commandments one by one and sought to understand and apply them. Well, this morning we're going to conclude this series by seeing what happened At the foot of the mountain after God gave his law. And to do that, we'll read from the end of Exodus chapter 20 and then Hebrews. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. This is God's holy and inerrant word. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dress stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, lest your nakedness be exposed on it. And then from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning there in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood 
that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. God, we come now before your word, and we do so humbly. We do so humbly because you are the God of creation. You are the living God who reigns on his throne over all of his creation. And it is you who speak. But we also come this morning confidently and boldly because we know that when you open your mouth to speak, things happen. By your voice, you call all that is that is into being. By your voice, you wake the dead. By your voice, you transform your people. And so we pray this morning that your word will not return to you empty, but that it will accomplish the purpose for which you set it forth. Heavenly Father, you know each and every one of us, and you know that there are some this morning who are weary. You know those who feel burdened with the weight of their sin. You know those who are troubled at circumstances in their lives right now. You know those who are walking in close communion with you right now. You know those who are here this morning who have profound questions about your character. Wondering if you are really as good as your word says. Wondering if your gospel can be true and if it can be true for them. One thing is sure this morning, no matter how we come into this place, we all need to hear your voice and we need to hear it with the humble confidence that you provide because we need to hear and we need to have our sin exposed to us. We need to see what we really are, but we also need to see what you really are. To see that you are both holy and loving. To see that you are both righteous and gracious. We pray that you would help us this morning as we study your word. To see with the eyes of faith our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we do pray. Amen. My wife and I, we enjoy watching movies together and I I really enjoy watching movies that involve some kind of suspense Um, you know movies that uh, keep you guessing you know throughout you know the ones that really do a good job of pulling you along and into the story and you know they may give you little clues along the way to help you help you along in the story but not revealing everything. They may even use, at times, some misdirection, you know, in their storytelling. Uh, but, you're, you know, you're either trying to figure out, you know, how is this, 
how is the tension in this story going to be resolved? Or maybe you're trying to figure out, well, who is the bad guy? Or how was it that they pulled off the heist or whatever it is? Well, every once in a while, we'll get to watch a movie together, and it'll be a movie that I've seen, uh, that I've already seen, and she hasn't seen. And so it's not near as suspenseful for me as it is for her. And um, so throughout the movie, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching her try and guess and trying to figure out, you know, who the bad guy is and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, she'll, to her credit, she often guesses right. She'll say, oh, it's so-and-so. I know, I know they did it. And so when that happens, I, I lie to her and I say, no, that's not what happened. You know, that's not who it is because I, I want her to keep guessing. I mean, that's, that's the fun, the suspense, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you, you want it to continue. You know, a significant challenge when doing a series through Exodus chapter 20 in the, the Ten Commandments is that most of you are at least familiar with the Ten Commandments and even the story that goes with it. But I do wonder, if you had heard this story for the first time, if you would have guessed that it ends with the Israelites shaking with fear. Or, or that Moses would end up talking to God while all the people got away from God. Or that God would tell Moses, now that I've given you my law, go get some animals and kill them. You see, I'm not sure I would have guessed that ending. Um, you know, I might have thought that, well, they're going to throw a party at the foot of the mountain. I mean, for some time... They have been hearing God speak to them, but hearing God speak to them through Moses. And now they got to hear the voice of God himself. You know, it seems like maybe they might have been excited, or maybe you would have thought that it would have ended with the people saying, okay, now that we know what God wants, let's start trying real hard to do it, you know. But instead, the scene unfolds quite differently. And from this story, I especially want us to see two things. Fear at the mountain and provision at the mountain. First, fear at the mountain. These people are scared in a big, big way. The text says that they trembled with fear. This isn't the kind of fear, though, that comes from surprise, right? You know, somebody might jump out at you when you're walking around a corner or something and catch you off guard, and you may have some kind of physical response to that, you know, scream and the the shaking and all that kind of stuff. But this is not... That's not what's going on here. This is much different. They are quaking with fear, not because they are caught off guard, but because they completely understand what is going on. Look, the law has produced incredible fear in these people. Think about it for just a moment. Here are these people, and immediately they are realizing that they had not kept God's law. They could look back on their lives. They knew when they had worshipped other gods when they were in Egypt. They knew the times they had harbored hateful thoughts against their neighbors, the Egyptians. They could think about all the many times that they had coveted a different life for themselves. And the law is saying to these people, there is a mark, there is a standard, and you missed it. I mean, they know that they justly deserve condemnation. But it's not just that they realize their past failures, I think. Like many of you who have spoken to me throughout this series, the law was also revealing something to them about their present situation. They had not kept the law, but they were also not keeping it. I mean, you see, the law is saying to them, here's the standard, and you are not this standard. The law isn't just a matter of doing, but of being, and the law is saying to them, 
This is not what you are. You don't measure up. But, but it's even more than that, I think. The law also exposes to them their inability. An inability to become this, to live this. The law shows them the standard, the mark, and in doing so it shows them that they are unable to ascend to it. And so they trembled with fear to know that they had not kept the law, that they were not keeping the law, and that they could not keep the law. My simple point is really this, that their trembling fear is the right response before God's law. See, if you hear the demands of the law and your knees aren't shaking, you are an arrogant fool. You do not know God and you do not know yourself. Trembling fear is the appropriate response before God's law. But here's the, here's the interesting thing to me in this text. They are not just afraid of the law. They are terrified of the lawgiver. Okay? They want to get away from him. The end of verse 18 says they stayed at a distance. And then verse 19, they want, they want God to stop speaking to them. They want him to shut his mouth because they are afraid that they are going to die if he continues speaking to them. It, being afraid of the law, I think, makes sense to us. You know, here's this list. You failed, you are failing, you will fail, and it condemns us. But why are they so afraid of God? I think it's because the law isn't just a list. It's a description. And it is a description of God's absolutely, completely perfect and holy character. I mean, look, this is a pretty awesome uh, scene here at the mountain. There's a lot of, uh, for the tech guys, you know, there's a lot of audiovisual stuff going on here. You know, there's thunder crashing, you know, there's lightning flashing, a trumpet sounding, a mountain is smoking, and God is speaking audibly to his people. I mean, this is pretty amazing stuff, and all they want to do is get out of there because all of it is combining to say that your God is holy, holy, holy. And listen, this is the same story throughout the Bible when people meet the holiness of God. Adam and Eve, they run to hide in the garden. Only that time it's not a trumpet but footsteps that they hear. David commits adultery with Bathsheba, then he lies, he murders uh, her husband, he tries to cover it all up. You know, what is he doing? He is running, he is trying to hide from his sin. Isaiah gets a vision of the holy, holy, holy God on his throne. And what is his response? Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, he sees God's holiness and he starts calling down curses on himself. And he pronounces his own death, is what Isaiah does. But, you know, we look at that and we say, oh, that's, that's so Old Testament, you know. Um, read through the Gospels sometimes. <laughs> Jesus' own disciples spend an awful lot of time afraid of their master. This is a story in the Gospels. You know, each time Jesus pulls back the veil a little bit to reveal his divinity and his power, they get terrified. There's this cool story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus tells them, let down your nets. Go out deeper. Let down your nets and see if you'll catch some fish. Because you see, they'd been fishing all night long and had not caught any fish. So they let down their, their nets and they catch all of these fish. That Their nets are breaking this huge catch. You know, you say, oh, that, that's awesome. You know, I mean, that's pretty good news for a fisherman. <laughs> you know, your boat's filled up with fish. You know what Peter says? 
He says, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me. I am a sinful man. You know, I would be surprised if some of you have not heard this illustration before. Um, you know, when I was involved with youth ministry, especially junior high and high school, I would go to these these youth conferences, and I heard this illustration several times. You know, the speaker would ask something like this. You know, he'd say, what would it feel like for you if we were able to put up this giant video screen in here and we were able to show everyone in this room what you were like when no one was around to see? And, and what if we were able on this video screen not just to reveal your actions but also your thoughts? And everyone was supposed to think, well, that would be pretty horrific. <laughs> you know, I, I would be ashamed, I would be embarrassed, and so on. And, and you know, the speaker was trying to get you to understand that God does see you. You are always visible before Him, and He sees not only the actions, but He sees the thoughts and the motives of your heart. But here's the thing. That illustration never really worked on me. Um, I never really got it because I sat there thinking, I have no idea what it would feel like if that happened. Um, with, you know, if I was in this room and all these people were watching, you know, the story of my life kind of thing, because I would not be in that room. If that was going to happen, I would be on the other side of the globe. I, I would be, Jennifer, kids, we're moving to Bangladesh. I, you know, we're, we're being called. Um, what I'm saying to you is to hear the law and be afraid and to want to stay at a distance, to want to run and hide, to want to back away from the law of God, and to want to leave is the appropriate response. You see, to hear the law and think, well, I'm okay. To hear the law and think that you just need to try a little harder. To hear the law and use it to look down on your neighbor is to fail to understand the holiness of God and your sinfulness. It's to not know God and not know yourself. That being said, thankfully fear is not the only thing we see at the mountain. We also see provision at the mountain. That's the second point. Notice what the people say to Moses in verse 19. They say, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Their fear leads them to understand that they need a mediator. What's a mediator? A mediator is a, is a go-between, right? Someone who goes where you cannot go. See, see, they were understanding that a sinful people cannot approach a holy, holy, holy God. They need someone else to do the approaching for them. And, and in their place, they knew that they needed someone to bridge the gap for them. And so here they are asking that Moses would become their mediator. And that's exactly what you see happen in verse 21. The people remain at a distance. But Moses goes into the thick darkness where God was. He goes where they are unable to go, right? Read through the rest of the story in Exodus and Numbers, and you will see that Moses often takes on this role of a mediator. But I hope that we would all understand this morning that Moses is just a tease. He's a teaser. He's a picture I mean, Moses was just a mediator from, for one group of people at one time in history. And Moses was not perfect in his mediation for his people. In fact, Moses was kept from bringing this people into the promised land because of his failure. Moses is a picture building our anticipation for the mediator who would be able to perfectly 
stand in the gap and make peace. A picture of the mediator who would not just go into the thick darkness, but take the thick darkness onto himself. A picture of the mediator who would reveal his father to his people and reveal his people to his father. Moses is pointing us to the mediator, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says that we have, we have not come to a mountain burning with fire, gloom, darkness, and storm. We have come to Jesus. And here it is. The mediator, the mediator of a new covenant. Now hold on to that for a second because we need to see something else provided at the mountain. The fear at the mountain shows you your need for God to provide a mediator. But it also shows you that you need God to provide for you a substitute. In verse 24 and following, God tells Moses, build an altar. It's no accident that this happens right after the law is given. The law is given, and there isn't celebration, patting each other on the back, I'm, I'm so glad we're good, you know. The law is given, and there isn't a pep rally, you know. Okay, on the count of three, let's go out and be good people. <laughs> it doesn't happen. After the law is given, there is a need to build an altar. What happens on an altar? Sacrifices are made. Something dies and is consumed in fire and in smoke. Substitution is made. Their sheep and their goats and their cattle are about to be slaughtered at the foot of the mountain. There is about to be a lot of blood and death at the foot of this mountain. You just kind of... You've got to imagine the sight. I mean, all these people around at the foot of the mountain, and then they, they're bringing all their, their sheep and their goats and their cattle, and people are slitting their throats, and there is blood everywhere. You just kind of imagine if you were there, the smell that day, the smell of death at the foot of the mountain. You have to imagine the sounds of these animals bleeding and gasping for their last breath, the sounds of men struggling to hold on to these cattle that they were slaughtering with their bare hands. I think that scene might be etched in your memory for quite a while. And it was a scene that said, you desperately need a substitute to pay the penalty because you did not keep the law You are not keeping the law, and you are unable to keep the law. So what can we learn about this provision of the the provision of the substitute? Look at some of the instructions in verse 23 and 25. Don't worship me by making pretty gods out of the finest silver and gold. Don't dress these stones up and make it look nice. You know, commentators will say at some points that these instructions, they're anti-Canaanite, right? They're going into the new land and, and God wants them to worship him differently, not with all the, these designs and beauty and all this kind of stuff. And while that may be true, I think there's more to it than that. I think God is saying, if you want to worship me, it won't be pretty. If you want to worship me, it will be gory and there will be blood and there will be death. The essence of coming before me, God is saying, is that a substitute must die the death you deserve. And that's how an undecorated, plain, 
earthy place of death really does become a place of beauty for God's people. All of these sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? The detailed instructions given in different places for carrying out all these sacrifices. What do you think God is saying in his word? I mean, there's a lot of animals that die in the Old Testament. He is saying again and again and again and again and again, I love rescuing my people through substitution. Those who rightly fear before his law and his holiness, he loves to substitute for them. You stand before this law and your knees are meant to shake. You see your failures in the past, present, and future. You are regularly reminded of your inability. But you need to make sure that you are reminded of one other Bible truth. And that is this. God loves to substitute for failures. He loves to provide for sinners. Now, just like Moses, this altar is, of course, a teaser. A perfect sacrifice was coming. Hebrews tells us that not only do we come to Jesus, the mediator, but then it says this, but to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. And God confronts Cain and he tells them, and he tells him that his brother's blood cries out to God from the ground. What do you think Cain's blood was crying out for from the ground? His blood was crying out for justice. For justice. For for Abel's blood was crying out for Cain's condemnation. But you see, Hebrews says that Jesus' blood also cries out. That his blood speaks. Only it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because you see, Jesus went into the thick darkness and the thick darkness fell upon him at the cross and his blood was spilled. You see, Jesus' blood cries out for your acquittal. It cries out for your pardon. It cries out before the Father that you would be forgiven and forgiven fully. Justice was satisfied on the altar. On the cross. You know, I was sitting in my office this week and I was trying to think of a fitting illustration for this last point and I couldn't do it. And it finally dawned on me why I was having so much trouble because I was trying to come up with an illustration for an illustration. You know, what happens at the foot of this mountain is the illustration. It's a picture of what God was going to do for his sinful creation. It's a vivid scene that is meant to point us to Jesus, our perfect substitute and mediator. Now, I want to end with one simple application, and that is what now? How do you respond to this good news? Verse 20 of Exodus chapter 20 says that God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And everyone agrees that that is a bad translation. It should read that God has come to give you He has come to give you this experience so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. See, my question is, how do you move from trembling fear that keeps you at a distance from God and his law 
and move to a fear that causes you to long for obedience to God's law. Do you know Psalm 130? Psalm 130 verse 4 says this, But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. The fear that leads to obedience is a wonder. It is a reverence. It is an astonishment that comes from seeing God's holiness and God's love satisfied at the same time. From seeing a holy God forgive sinners. You see, this altar at the foot of the mountain says justice is required because of God's holiness. But it also says this. A substitute will be provided because of God's love. And when you see holiness and love meet at the cross of Jesus, when you understand the better word spoken by Jesus' blood, the trembling fear, it is replaced with a fear that comes from knowing God's forgiveness, and it leads you to obedience to his law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this series that we've been able to do through Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. We thank you that in studying your law, that we are reminded of your perfect holiness and that we are reminded of all our many failures. We do pray. That your law would send us fleeing into the arms of Jesus, our perfect mediator, the one who was substituted in our place. And we pray that Jesus would indeed send us back to the law, forgiven and free to seek to please you with obedience and conformity to your will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.